The battle to shut down a nuclear reactor is a long game, requiring that citizens dedicate decades of work, follow through, a near vertical learning curve, community outreach and education, stamina, courage, and an unwillingness to give in to the moneyed, empowered forces that want to keep that dangerous technology running so it continues to make them boatloads of money. So when you live on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and it's June 1st, 2019, and you can honestly say... It's a nice feeling to know that you wake up in the morning and that nuclear reactor is dead cold. Well, when you can finally say something like that, about the Pilgrim nuclear power plant, after more than 30 years of work to shut it down, you'd be well justified in thinking that, at least today, there's slightly less discomfort and danger coming from that seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, A celebration of the shutdown of Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station in Plymouth, Massachusetts, at the foot of Cape Cod. We'll join the celebration party to talk with Diane Turco of Cape Downwinders, and then speak with Mary Lampert of Pilgrim Watch to examine what lies ahead for Pilgrim, and indeed, every nuclear reactor once it's shut down. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, and more honest nuclear information than was in the book that Queen Elizabeth gave to Donald Trump. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, June 4th, 2019, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Ohio remains big in the nuclear news this week. First, the Zons Corner Middle School in Piketon, Ohio, will remain closed with classes relocated to other schools because of the discovery of neptunium, americium, and enriched uranium either in the school or on the grounds outside of it. The Department of Energy's technical teams collected 44 surface samples from both inside and outside the school and air samples both inside and outside the school. However, school board president Brandon Woolrich says that he has lost faith in the process. He has insisted on the testing of things like vents and ceiling tiles, or as he said, quote, stuff that is not cleaned every week or every day and has said that he won't trust the results of the recent government sampling. That's why he said testing from an independent third party is a must. Meanwhile, strong winds have been blowing from the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant, a nuclear site only two to three miles away from the school, 
and quite logically believed to be the source of the radioactive contamination. Michael Ketterer, a chemistry professor emeritus at Northern Arizona University, independent of the government, collected close to 60 samples throughout the community, 12 of which were taken from inside the middle school over the course of two separate occasions. Eleven of these 12 samples were analyzed, and three tested positive for enriched uranium. That's three out of 11, or 27% of the samples from inside the school. Not great odds. And DOE confirms that Assistant Secretary of Energy Ann White, who oversees environmental management of America's nuclear legacy, has officially submitted her resignation, which will take effect as of June 14, 2019. Also in Ohio, defying all laws of competitive economics, climate change, and technological progress, the Ohio House has voted in a ratepayer-funded bailout for two aging nuclear power plants on Lake Erie and two even older coal burners, including one based in Piketon, Ohio. Poor Piketon. If it passes Ohio's Senate next week, an astonishing multi-billion dollar public handout will force ratepayers throughout the state to fork over $190 million per year in overmarket payments to keep the decaying Perry and de davis Bessie reactors in business. If passed, this legislation would gut Ohio's green energy mandates passed by the legislature in 2008. And the money will come from all Ohio electric consumers, even though many get zero power from the nukes. Flooding in the U.S. Midwest is having nuclear implications. In Nebraska, both the Cooper Nuclear Power Station and the Fort Calhoun Nuclear Station, which is shuttered but still has a full-spent fuel pool, both sit on the Missouri River. The acknowledged flood level is 34 feet, but the river has been at over 39 feet since May 30th. Since March, the Omaha Public Power District has had sandbags and barriers surrounding both nuclear reactor sites. But with more rain in the forecast, there's no telling how high the waters will go and whether those barriers are going to be enough. And today, June 4th, the sirens, the warning sirens at Cooper Nuclear were triggered by what officials said were a false alarm. Flooding river, nuclear reactor adjacent to it, alarms going off. Hey, pay no attention. The result was similar to what happened at the false alarm of April 29th at Cook Nuclear in Michigan when the area showed a sudden spike in purchases of heart medication, hard alcohol, and depends. And now... Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, none that's out of week. The nuclear lobby, desperate to rebrand itself with the most heinous propaganda it can come up with, has a new initiative called the Nuclear Innovation Clean Energy Future, or NICE Future. Nuclear Innovation Clean Energy. Get it? They've just unveiled a new book entitled Breakthroughs, Nuclear Innovation in a Clean Energy System. However, Nuclear Hot Seat has discovered that this book is really written in code, and yes, after some very deep work with our great experts, we have decoded what this book is really saying. So here are a few translations just from the press release that announced it. 
The combination of what they say is vision and innovation, but really means PR lies and propaganda, the combination of PR lies and propaganda is having a profound effect on our energy landscape. And nowhere is that more true than nuclear energy. While they say here nuclear energy is one of our most reliable and cleanest sources of energy, what they really mean is that nuclear energy is one of the most reliable sources of deadly damaging, ionizing radiation, and highly radioactive waste. The book highlights some of what they call the incredible transformative opportunities, translates as deadly and dangerous, and transformative opportunities mean more chances for leaking teapots that split the atom in order to boil water. Yeah, that's the transformation that happens. Water into steam and the earth into an unlivable environment. Because of the creation of hundreds of thousands of tons and years of high-level, life-destroying, radioactive nuclear waste. The NICE Futures Initiative envisions nuclear energy's many uses for contributing to the ultimate destruction of life on Earth. And as for that acronym for NICE, what it really means is nuclear insanity, a cataclysm for Earth. And that's why... Nice, soul-dead cubicle drones who dreamt up this acronym and this program. You are all this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of week. In Japan, at Fukushima Daiichi, remote-controlled machinery has begun removing 88 tons of spent and damaged nuclear fuel from the heavily damaged number 3 reactor during the 2011 triple meltdown at Fukushima, a huge hydrogen explosion ripped through Reactor Building 3, destroying most of the building's outer structure. Inside, reactor core had begun to melt down, and radiation levels inside were so high, no humans could get near. It is still deadly, which is why only robotics can't approach it. Anyone listening still think nukes are clean, green, and sustainable? The overriding question becomes... Once they have removed the fuel, then where does it go? A small item in an obscure Japanese publication has revealed that the Japanese PR firm Dentsu, which is the world's fifth largest advertising PR network, has by itself taken in 240 million yen, which is the equivalent of 216 million U.S. dollars, in government contracts to advertise Fukushima's recovery. That's why and how the push has been so relentless to normalize the view of Fukushima in the world's mind. According to Edward Bernays, Sigmund Freud's nephew and the inventor of public relations, the purpose of PR is to manipulate public consent. Looking further at the international stage, our friends at the International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons, ICANN, has let us know that German campaigners marked the 31st anniversary of the INF Treaty, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty's entry into force by hitting the streets to urge their government to join the United Nations Treaty on the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons. The INF Treaty was the first agreement between Russia and the U.S. that eliminated entire categories of nuclear weapons. For over 30 years, both sides agreed to the elimination of all nuclear and conventional ground-lost ballistic and cruise missiles 
with ranges of between 500 and 5,500 kilometers, meaning 310 to 3,100 miles. The U.S. has suspended its compliance with the treaty and handed in its notice of withdrawal from the treaty. It will terminate on August 2nd unless the U.S. revokes this notice. While the INF treaty only bound two countries, the U.S. and Russia, its demise endangers the entire world. In the Philippines, their Department of Agriculture has lifted the seven-year import ban on fish coming from Fukushima as, quote-unquote, a gesture of goodwill between Japan and Philippines. Why, you might ask? The lifting of the ban coincided with President Rodrigo Duterte's visit to Japan for an international conference on the future of Asia. He has called for greater access to Japanese markets for Philippine bananas, pineapples, and now Haas Avocados, a deal that promises to bring the country $5 billion in signed deals from this trip alone. So, hey, what's a little radiation in your fish? We'll have this week's featured interviews in just a moment. But first, when it comes to nuclear, the good news is rare, and the bad news hits just keep on coming. Mainstream media barely notices nuclear problems, let alone bothers to cover them consistency or in any depth. That's what you count on Nuclear Hot Seat to do. Get into nuclear stories with more facts, continuity, context, and skepticism than you'll find on all of mainstream media combined. We've been covering cutting-edge nuclear stories for eight full years now, providing a one-hour hit every week of honest nuclear information. That's 415 episodes, including this one. Interviews with genuine experts, scientists, engineers, veteran activists, a roundup of international news, numbnuts of the week, bad puns, sometimes a little bit of musical theater. Hey, where else can you get all of this in a weekly counterbalance to the nuclear industry's lies, propaganda, and government cover-up? Does having this information each week help you understand what's going on? Good, because that's what we're here for. And that's why we're asking you for your help. No surprise that there are costs incurred in bringing you the nuclear news and interviews you get here. And we need your help in meeting those expenses. So if you value the kind of information Nuclear Hot Seat provides, help us keep going by sending a donation of any size. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button. For those of you who want to make a big difference on a little budget, you can click on the big green Donate button that allows you to quickly set up a recurring donation of just $5 a month, the same as you'd spend on an expensive cup of coffee. So please, do what you can to help Nuclear Hot Seat search out and share nuclear information that helps you understand issues that the nuclear industry would rather you not know. Whatever you can do to help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Here are this week's featured interviews. <clears throat> 98 nuclear power plants on. Still, there are 98 nukes. Take one down. Pilgrim is gone. 97 nuclear power plants left here in the USA. Yep, Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant is shut down for good. And we talked with two of the women who helped make that happen. First, Diane Turco. She is co-founder and executive director of Cape Downwinders, a public safety and public education group that has opposed Pilgrim for more than 30 years. Diane has been a regular source on all things Pilgrim since Nuclear Hot Seat began eight years ago, and we talked twice last week. 
the first at the end of the victory party the group held on June 2nd. First of all, congratulations. It has been a long, hard struggle to get that thing shut down. How does it feel, besides the wonderful feeling waking up in the morning and there's no live nuclear reactor uh, just down at the foot of the Cape, other than that, how does it feel that it's finally closed down? You know, it's wonderful to wake up and not live under the threat of a nuclear accident in our backyard. We're finally free from that threat, and it feels just incredible. How many years has Cape Downwinders been in existence, and how long have you personally been working with the group to get Pilgrim closed? Well, we began as citizens at risk with other organizations in the 1980s when there was an initiative on our state ballot to close Pilgrim, and we morphed into Cape Downwinders and focused on public safety and Cape Cod because we found out in the event of an accident at Pilgrim, the bridges, there were two access bridges to Cape Cod, those would be closed and we would be trapped here. And that was the official plan. So this is since the 1980s, and you've been yes. personally involved since that time? Yes, since 1986. What a journey, what vision you had to just keep going. What was the hardest part about enduring this amount of work that had to be done and the number of years? Well, you know, there was a lot of support from um, the community and um, other activists that, you know, I wasn't working alone. I had my dear friend Sarah Thatcher, and there were a lot of other folks working on the issue. And so we had a really good team and community spirit. So we worked together, and that was what was really important and made it tolerable. The community was a very good support system to continue to work on this. And also the fact that our government officials weren't doing what they should do, and their priority was to protect the public, and they weren't doing that. So we needed to use our voices to pressure them to do their job. Now, of course, the nuclear industry and its wonks are all claiming, well, it's economics. That's the reason that we're shutting down. In truth, to what extent do you feel that the work that you and the others in that supportive community did influenced or even forced the closure? Well, I think we educated the public about the dangers of nuclear power, and we got the public behind us. Every public advisory question we had on Pilgrim to close it down, to move the waste out of the pool, passed by a percentage that no elected official ever received. What, if anything, do you feel was your most effective tactic in moving this battle forward? Our mission was to investigate, educate, and agitate for the shutdown of Pilgrim. And I think educating the public on the issues was the most important thing because in a democracy, we needed an informed public to make educated decisions. And when the public understands the issues, they follow through. What steps did you take to educate the public through the years? Well, we had a lot of speakers. We had um, non-binding public advisory questions. We had public programs, films. So we had an array of activities that engaged the public. We also had a very good Cape Cod Times reporter, Christine Legere, who's been working on uh, the Pilgrim issue for many years. And she did such in-depth reporting that we feel strongly, too, that her impact and the Cape Cod Times, you know, front page over the fold, fold um, reporting really helped us in our mission to educate the public. I have to say she is one of only two 
journalist I know of in the country who had a dedicated beat to cover nuclear issues. The other one being Susanna Frame with King 5 TV in Seattle, who wow. covers Hanford. So uh-huh. the fact that Christine was there and did such extraordinary work, I admired her work from a distance. I even wrote to her and her editor and her publisher congratulating yes. them and thanking them for the work, which uh, they were astounded that they were getting acknowledged as well. But they deserved it because the media is so important. Speaking of which, how has the more general media, other than the Cape Cod Times, been covering this closure? Has it been more slanted towards, oh, gee, we're not going to have Pilgrim anymore, or is it whoopee, at least this part of it is over? They have given us the courtesy of us stating that we are no longer living under threat of a nuclear power reactor accident. But on the flip side, they're talking about energy and carbon. Um, so they've been putting the issue more on ener- energy issues as opposed to public safety issues. And also to the waste, we're addressing now the nuclear waste issues that are the next big concern. So the media has been mixed right now. Um, so again, too, our new mission will be to investigate, educate, and agitate for the safest storage of nuclear waste. And we see that it will be in Plymouth, America's hometown, for a very long time. What are you and the others doing to celebrate? Yesterday, we held a memorial vigil at Pilgrim as it shut down. We were mindful of all the people that have worked on um, getting that reactor shut and also all the people that have died from the um, effects of uh, ionizing radiation released from Pilgrim. And today we had a very big party. Actually, everyone's leaving now. Um, But we have celebrated here and shared our community and given thanks and gratefulness to all the folks that have worked together in an effort to make our world safe. What's next on your agenda? Taking Monday off, and then Tuesday, I'm back on to start working on um, the nuclear waste issues. Um, we have Holtec, who's planning to buy Entergy, and Holtec is a house of cards that is just looking to, uh, we think, raise the decommissioning trust fund. The nuclear waste storage is, is a, a poor quality. It's near the beach, and it's not protected. In fact, um, I will be going to a pretrial hearing on July 30th, because I was uh, charged with trespassing when I brought NPR reporters on the site to point out the fact that you can be on that property and eyeball the dry cast for 30 minutes and no security even approaches you. So in other words, you really should be paid money by the nuclear industry or by Holtec for vetting the fact that they lacked security. Exactly, exactly, yes. This is And this isn't the first time we've um, I've been on the property multiple times with reporters, and no security has ever come out. What a charming thought. Anything else you'd like to add at this time? Nuclear power is going out, and we are so happy that Pilgrim will no longer be producing the waste, but we still would be part of the struggle across the country and even around the world to get every nuclear reactor shut down because while we are fortunate now to have our reactor dead and cold, Reactors around the world are still producing this deadly waste and threatening communities. So we're in it for the long haul. And certainly having waged such a successful battle on so many fronts and so many years, you have many lessons to share with others who are fighting 
the nuclear menace in their own communities, but perhaps have a bit less experience with it. And hopefully there will be ways found for you to either have webinars or a book or something that helps us educate ourselves in what were the tactics you took, what was effective, where were the pitfalls, and how people can use these lessons to help achieve the same end that you have now achieved with Pilgrim, which is cold shutdown. Yes. We will be continually to give any support to any communities that would like to maybe uh, follow some of our paths. Well, I will be seeing <laughs> that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, you, you go ahead. You go. No, I was just laughing because like, we've been having champagne all afternoon, so I don't know how this interview is going. <laughs> And it's been so wonderful, you know, just um, the long, many years, you know, many years of uh, work. And there's still people here who were original Cape Carters, Cape Downwinders in the uh, 80s, and some who aren't with us. But we're very grateful that we can share this day. That's one of the reasons I wanted to call you now so that we have had a chance to have that champagne circulate <laughs> around a little bit because yeah. we don't have a lot of opportunities to celebrate within this community. If you're going to celebrate something, go to the max and have a great time because it was well fought, hard earned, and congratulations to all of you. Thank you. And I have to say too, is that we have also been uh, mentored by the folks who've shut down Vermont Yankee. The Citizens Awareness Network, uh, Chris Williams was here. You know, we work with Deb Katz and that whole crew. And they have been very supportive in helping us do the work we've done here. So it's community, connecting with community, and we're all in this together. And if there is someone in a community or some group in a community that is fighting nuclear reactors, where can they still get in touch with Cape Downwinders? They can contact me at capedownwindersinfo at gmail.com or my home uh, email is t. T-U-R-C-O at Comcast.net. I would be more than willing to help anybody who are in this battle. Diane, I will leave you to whatever uh-huh. is left in that bottle of champagne, perhaps the <laughs> fresh one you may be opening. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, metaphorically, at least from a distance, I lift my glass to you. And again, my deepest and heartiest congratulations to you all. Thank you. You know, I've got a wonderful community here, and, and we are we're very happy today. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. Diane Turco of Cape Downwinders. Once the immediate afterglow of the shutdown faded, I spoke with her again on Monday, June 3rd, to talk about what's to come with Pilgrim, as shutdown is just the start. Diane, there are steps that are going to have to be taken now that the euphoria of the closure has passed. What is it that's on the agenda for Cape Downwinders? We are certainly going to be attending to the nuclear waste issues at Pilgrim. Right now, they are using the Holtec Storm 100 dry casts, um, and they're 150 feet from the beach. They will be moving the pad up to a higher level, but we're looking at calling for more robust canisters, the thick metal canisters. We also are going to make sure that they have security around these facilities. Right now, I am going to court because I brought some reporters on to the site and you can eyeball those dry casks and security doesn't come out. So that's a big concern. In other words, you just walk in 
unannounced with some other people, meaning reporters, and said, yeah. okay, there are the casks, and now let's time how long it takes before somebody shows up? Yeah, we drive up past, well, we actually drive up the driveway to the parking lot, past the no trespassing signs where it says deadly force could be used. You can get, get out of your car when you look at the dry casks. You can eyeball them, and the security cameras are up there, but nobody comes out. It's pretty unprotected, and it's on the same side of the reactor as the spent fuel pool. And as we know, in a Mark 1 boiling water reactor, the roof of a spent fuel pool is just a tin roof. It's not protected. So we, we are going to make sure that there's hardened on-site storage with high security, and that's the best protection we think we can have for now. What is it going to take for that to be agreed to, for that to be part of the follow-up now that Pilgrim has closed? Well, we do have a nuclear decommissioning citizen advisory panel that's really on top of it. How that becomes enforceable, we don't know yet. We don't know. I mean, they're buying whole tech casts and using them today. And we see what's happening at San Onofre and seeing that that's our future unless things change here. So right now we're trying to organize to work on these issues. I think one of the, the um, most important lessons that we learned is it's so important to work together. We've been connected with state and national groups, so I just want to thank Citizens Awareness, Beyond Nuclear, NEARS, San Onofre Safety, Samuel Lawrence Foundation. They've been great support to our work, and the Vermont Yankee folks, and also other organizations like the Physicians for Social Responsibility, the CIRA Club, and so many other organizations have connected with us in our work, and they've been great support. There were so many angles to how this all came together. And I think going to, like, Department of Environmental Protection, uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission meetings, submitting testimony, pushing our legislators, there's so much that goes into the work to get a nuclear reactor shut down. So there's lots of people to thank. And there are a lot of people who were involved with the work either directly or in an advisory capacity, as you just said, because... You know, if raising a child takes a village, uh -huh. shutting down nukes takes a planet. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You said it well. Thank you. That was Diane Turco, the very happy executive director of Cape Downwinders. To learn more about what the follow-ups to closure will look like, as you will hear, the legal battles around what the decommissioning is actually going to look like and what the standards are going to be are heating up already. So I spoke with Mary Lampert founder of Pilgrim Watch, to find out in more detail what the issues are and what's to come. First of all, Mary Lampert, congratulations. How does it feel that Pilgrim is finally closed? Great relief. However, although our risk has been decreased, there are still considerable concerns and risks ahead during the decommissioning process and a lot of challenges, and that is why Pilgrim Watch, which I'm the director of, and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts filed to intervene in the legal process on Entergy and Holtec's plan to sell Pilgrim from Entergy to Holtec to do the decommissioning. And that presents a couple of very important challenges. First, will there be enough money to decommission the site, or will the Commonwealth be stuck uh, holding the bag, paying the bill, and with a dirty site? 
Holtec, uh, like Entergy, is a limited liability company, and they're not bringing any money to the table. They, instead, they will get, for their $1,000 investment, they will get the decommissioning trust fund, which sits at about a billion dollars, and with that, they hope to decommission. What is this $1,000 they paid that put them in line for such an enormous payoff? The $1,000 is uh, a very nominal fee, not unusual, because what are they getting? They're getting the opportunity to decommission the site and to deal with the spent fuel until some off-site repository is available. Who knows when that's going to be? But we figure what they potentially can get is an $800 million profit out of their $1,000 investment, and that's a lot of money. The important point is they're a limited liability company, so when that decommissioning trust fund is over, empty, they're out of here. And we can hope that the site will have been cleaned up and that the money covered the deal. But both the Attorney General and Pilgrim Watch do not believe that is the case, and hence we're asking for a parent guarantee because Holtec is a multi-tiered organization. So the bottom group will be the ones that own Pilgrim and will be financially responsible, not the parent company that is a multi-million dollar company. So what we want is a parent guarantee and also assurance that money that they will get from the Department of Energy for babysitting the spent fuel will be put back into the decommissioning trust fund. But that's only part of our concern. The other part is, will it be properly cleaned up? Holtec and their filings indicate that they believe the site is essentially clean, and they estimated very little money to clean it up. However, they have not done a site assessment as they should do in the beginning of the process. And we know from Pilgrim's history that it is an exceptionally dirty site because they opened in 72 with bad fuel and without their filtration system for the first seven years. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that one. And then after, in 1982, they once they had filters, they blew their filters. And needless to say, when you blow your filters, you have an awful lot of radiological contaminants in those filters that gets dispersed. As a matter of fact, in 82, the federal government and state government had suited people going around Plymouth and Kingston, Cape Cod, to determine how far the contamination spread. And the important point, there are also chemical contaminants from uh, PCBs to oil to you name it. And the important point is that all of the buildings that have contamination, the main reactor building, et cetera, are very close to Cape Cod Bay. And the soil and the land dips down into the bay so anything, any contaminants left in the soil 
were left in the basements of the buildings or in the pipes and tanks that they intend to leave on site will find their way into Cape Cod Bay and probably find your way way into your dinner table. Well, obviously, that is not acceptable. And it's also not acceptable because Pilgrim sits on top of the second largest aquifer in Massachusetts, the Plymouth Carver Aquifer. And so there is a potential for contamination of the aquifer, and that would be bad news. So as a result, we want to assure there's some money there, that there has been the proper site assessment, that the state, Massachusetts Department of Public Health and the Department of Environmental Quality, have the ability and get money from Holtec to do split samples, to see all the hydrology analyses and the this and the that. So we have the state's eyes to provide assurance that this place is going to be cleaned up and that the aquaculture, fishing industry, and all the industries, real estate on up in the towns that have waterfront property on Cape Cod Bay, that would be Provincetown swinging up to Hingham, don't get stuck with losses that would result from contaminants getting into the bay. What's the value of this area? The value of this area from Cape Cod, the South Shore, is the cleanliness of our environment. And we care about public health and safety, and this site has been a very dirty site, and we want it done right. As an official intervener, what is Pilgrim Watch going to be doing in the immediate future to make certain that your demands, which are only logical and right and appropriate, given the contamination of the area or the dirtiness of the nuclear reactor, what are the steps going to be that Pilgrim Watch takes as you move forward? There are rules for intervention with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission that has the authority to grant the sale of Pilgrim from Entergy to Holtec and conditions of that sale, okay? The state, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, has zero, almost zero authority. The state cannot make the decision whether the sale would or would not go through. And so there is a formal process with requirements uh, for filing a motion to intervene. And so we filed about a 150, 60-page motion. And the Attorney General also filed, on behalf of the Commonwealth, a similar motion, bringing essentially the same concerns. Then there's a reply from the lawyers who are representing Entergy and Holtec, and there are quite a few of them (laughs) from very big law firms, and they filed a response countering uh, the issues we brought forward. Then we replied to that. So there's been hundreds of pages of documents that have already been filed. Now it is up to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission lawyers to decide whether they are going to, and there there will be three judges 
to decide whether they will accept our contentions, and then the hearing process would begin. In the meantime, we would hope that as adults, we know that Entergy wants out of here as quickly as possible, and Holtec wants in as quickly as possible. Holtec is also planning on decommissioning the same sort of deal, Indian Point, Oyster Creek in New Jersey, and Palisades in Michigan. And so if they lose here, they can see that they might lose a big chunk of this business that is only growing bigger as reactors are closing and the opportunity to make a ton of money. So we'll see what happens, and we expect then that they might be offering one to sit down and see whether we can work out a settlement. When you say the groups that will be sitting down to the table, are you talking about Pilgrim Watch being part of this process? Is it the state of Massachusetts, or is it just the NRC with Holtec and Entergy? There will probably be two separate seatings, and NRC will not be part of this. This is outside the legal process, as in Vermont, that was bought by North Star. The state of Vermont had filed motions to intervene, just as the Commonwealth has and Pilgrim Watch has. And they managed to settle and therefore notified NRC to drop the proceeding because the parties had reached a settlement. You see, so there, there's a precedent here. So we, Pilgrim Watch, my husband's a lawyer, and myself would meet separately with Holtec and Entergy's lawyers and to see whether we could come up with a deal. At the what same we- time the attorney general that has also filed to intervene would meet with Entergy and Holtec to see whether they could come up with a deal. Clearly, if only one of the parties can reach agreement and the other one can't, then we would then proceed with litigation because Holtec and Entergy wouldn't want to settle when the other parties that have filed to intervene aren't in agreement. But I expect that we might all be in agreement. I know what our bottom lines are. And seeing as though the Attorney General's motion to oppose the sale had essentially the same contentions, concerns as ours did, I would expect we'd be exactly on the same page. For example, uh, a very bottom line for me, it's no deal unless the state's preferred, more conservative cleanup standard of radiation is not part of the deal. The NRC allows more radiation to be left on site based on a 1992 analysis of the impact of radiation on health than we know from the National Academies is very outdated, that we want less radiation left on site than the NRC allows. 
that's a bottom line as far as Pilgrim Watch is concerned. They have to meet that cleanup standard, and as important, they will have to meet the way they would assess how much radiation is there. There are different dose models. Some are very conservative and protective of public health and safety, and some are less conservative. We want the most conservative, and we want the standard that actually Mass Department of Public Health has been trying to get Antigy and Holtec to sign a uh, memorandum of understanding that they would follow. It's the same standard that was followed in Maine at Yankee when cleaning it up, the same standard that was followed in cleaning up Yankee Atomic in Massachusetts. And so we say, look, why now would we accept having more radiation left at Pilgrim knowing that anything left there is going to get into the groundwater, is going to get into Cape Cod Bay, or perhaps into an aquifer. No, we will not accept that. Either in the agreement, they agree to that, or, so sad, too bad, it looks like the whole summer, fall, winter, might be in litigation. And uh, I think they will remember, because it's Entergy and Holtec of the same law firm, that I was against in uh, a legal battle against relicensing Pilgrim for an additional 20 years for six years. So they know I don't give up. They spent millions of dollars in that litigation, and it took six years until the NRC, pressured from Congress, decided to call the game before the legal proceeding was completed. But they don't want to screw around for six years. Yeah, they want to get this taken care of as possible. They want to get this done. And we're we're being reasonable. You know, hey, put up a parent guarantee. You say you can do the job for the essentially billion dollars. It's in the decommissioning trust fund, a fund that neither Antigy nor Holtec put a single dime into. That's all ratepayer money because we were a utility structure in 1972 when Pilgrim went online. And when a reactor goes online, they're mandated to have established the beginnings of a decommissioning trust fund that hopefully they hope will grow through investments over the years. Initially, it was like 300 and some odd million, and it's grown from investments to a little over a billion. But the issue is, hey, why should we take any chances? Holtec and Entergy, as part of the process, when you you say to NRC, we're going to close shop and begin decommissioning, they have to file a plan. And in that plan that describes, and not detail, but it's long enough detail of what's their plan for decommissioning and what are their cost estimates. What do they plan to spend over that time period for spent fuel management, what they intend to spend to take the buildings down, what they intend to spend to clean up. And at the end, they determined they were going to spend everything in the decommissioning trust fund except $3,600. 
That was their rainy day fund. You call that a rainy day fund? That's a joke. All these ridiculous assumptions, rose-colored glasses that, oh, all the spent fuel is going to be gone by 2062. Well, we don't have a Yucca Mountain. We don't have any assurance we're going to have an interim site. But they say at the same time, they expect to babysit the fuel will cost 7000 a year. Okay, so if they miss their 2062 target, they're already in the hole because they only have 3600 not 700 And then there's the issue. They give their cost estimates in 2018 dollars. They assume there is not going to be a cost escalation beyond about 2% higher than inflation, where the NRC says, oh, no, it probably will be 5 to 9%. They assume the site is clean. We know otherwise. So they make these assumptions to make their numbers come out, but we know that the assumptions don't hold water, so therefore there's not enough money. So give me a parent guarantee and we'll all be happy and go about our business. I'll enjoy the summer. Entergy will go back to Louisiana. Holtec will come in. Obviously, there is still a lot of work ahead. And the shutdown of Pilgrim was only the first step in all of this. But I have to ask, what did you and any others in your group do to celebrate the closure? We had a dinner at a restaurant in Sandwich with folks that have been active over the years. And we, you know, all made a toast and then made our commitment to the work that was ahead and was going to start the next day. In fact, it already has started. And we have circulated a list of priorities, what is necessary in decommissioning. And this list is now circulated for other groups to sign on, like Clean Water, Toxics Action, Mass Perg, Sierra Club, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to send to the Attorney General, to the Governor, to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, to the Secretary of Public Safety, of what we know the state should be demanding in this process. What are the priorities to protect the pocketbook? What are the priorities to protect public health and safety and the environment as we move forward? It sounds like you've got a busy time ahead. I'm glad the time was taken out to at least have that toast and that dinner. And I just want to (laughs) add, you know, you've got to celebrate when you can. And in sending out that report that you're going to be sending to all the agencies, I do trust that you're going to be sending it to the media as well so they can understand what the talking points genuinely are. Mary Lampert, you have obviously been doing dedicated work on this issue, as so many others have been for all these years. Congratulations on the closure. Take a deep breath. Gird your loins for the next set of actions that need to be taken and we'll continue to be in touch as this continues to unfold but for now i'd like to thank you for being my guest this week on nuclear hot seat Uh, my pleasure that was mary lampert of pilgrim watch for any individual group or community 
that is fighting to close down your local neighborhood nuclear reactor and would like the benefit of insights and advice on steps you might take in your area, you can contact Diane Turco at capedownwinders.org and Mary Lampert's information is available on pilgrimwatch.org. We will, of course, link to both on the website nuclearhotseat.com under this episode number 415. Activist shout out! On May 21st, the Alliance for Nuclear Accountability presented Denise Duffield, who is Associate Director of Physicians for Social Responsibility in Los Angeles, with their 2019 Bill Mitchell Grassroots Activist of the Year Award. This was in recognition for her outstanding work addressing nuclear issues in Los Angeles, the state of California, and the United States. PSR joins the Alliance for Nuclear Accountability in applauding Denise for years of courageous advocacy, including her recent success in drawing attention to the potential health risks posed by contamination from the Santa Susana Field Laboratory as a result of the Woolsey fire in August of 2018. Hearty congratulations go to Ashish Biruli at the International Uranium Film Festival, which was just held May 25 to 29 in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Ashish had 25 photos exhibited at the Museum of Art. They were taken in 2012 and document the physical deformities and diseases affecting the population in Jadugoda, India, which is near a uranium mine. Ashish Biruli was also heard on Nuclear Hot Seat number 411 from May 7, 2019, with the focus on indigenous nuclear genocide. And here's a real goodie. Washington State Physicians for Social Responsibility here in the U.S. is going to hold a day for nuclear weapons speakers training. This will be on June 15. It will be a day of learning, practicing, and movement building on nuclear weapons featuring Lee Hochberg from PBS NewsHour. Training will include what does the movement to abolish nuclear weapons look like in this case in Washington state, effective messages and talking points to build the movement to abolish nuclear weapons, how to deliver a compelling message to a crowd and make sure your message is heard, along with concrete organizing skills to give educational presentations to students, faith communities, and people who can be encouraged to join the movement. This is the kind of training that we all deserve to have in all of our communities. And while there are currently no plans for this workshop to be live-streamed, hopefully it will be recorded, and those of us outside of Washington State will be able to take advantage of the information. Here's this week's final thought. This week, this show right now marks the end of the eighth year of weekly production on Nuclear Hot Seat. For next week's anniversary show, I will attempt to put together a celebration of our past in addition to the regular features, with maybe some fun bits you haven't heard before. Plus, I'll be announcing some of the plans that are going in place for year nine and beyond for the show. Know that I couldn't have made it this far without your support and companionship. So let's keep that stream of emotional, metaphoric, spiritual food coming. If you have story leads, hot tips, suggestions of people to interview, donations, and or just plain girls, they all help feed me and the show's forward motion. So let's throw ourselves an anniversary party next week. 
Like I said before, we have to celebrate in those places that we find. Stay tuned. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, June 4, 2019. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, dunrenard.wordpress.com, miningawareness.wordpress.com, Beyond Nuclear International, the International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons, ICANN, WPSR.org, CapeCodTimes.com, and the brilliant reporting of Christine Legere, Dispatch.com, HuntingtonNews.net, WSAZ.com, NBC4I.com, BingeOnline.com, Progressive.org, Cleveland.com, 3NewsNow.com, Bob Alvarez, PeoplesWorld.org, RGI.com, Professor Norma Field, BBC.com, ResearchGate.net, Wall Street Journal, Rappler.com, Earth.com, TheBigWobble.org, Tri-CityHerald.com, GlobalNews.ca, WiseInternational.org, and the misguided, short-sighted dolts at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission who don't seem to understand that anything's wrong with burying 72 Chernobyl's worth of radioactive waste in five-eighths inch thin stainless steel canisters only 100 feet from the Pacific Ocean at San Onofre, which is the exact same numbskull quote-unquote solution they want to try at Pilgrim. Thanks to all of you for listening, and a big shout-out to Nuclear Hot Seat listeners and followers around the world. In at least, we're counting now, at least 123 countries on six continents and counting. If you haven't already done so, go to our Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page, like it, share it, respond to a post. Let's get a conversation going. And if you would like Nuclear Hot Seat delivered by email... You can be among the first to get the show by signing up in the big yellow opt-in box at NuclearHotSeat.com. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world as well as in your own backyard, take a moment to send a donation of any size to NuclearHotSeat.com. We will really appreciate your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2019. Libby, Halevi, and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that the last thing anyone who opposes nuclear wants to be able to say is, I told you so. There you go. You have just had your nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.